Organifi has everything you need when it comes to high-quality adaptogens, supplements, and now collagen. I actually use their collagen daily, and I love it. And I have a 20% off code for you to use. Many of you know about adaptogens. They are herbs or mushrooms that help your body adapt to stress. They only provide you with the support you need when your body needs it. Research shows adaptogens can help balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease depression and anxiety, and support proper hormone function depending on the adaptogen that you use. Organifi has a large variety of adaptogen blends. For example, they have green juice, which has ashwagandha. It's really great for stress support. They also have Harmony, which is an amazing blend of Vitex Berry and Maca, which is known to help relieve PMS symptoms like headaches and mood changes. And now they also have supplements. So if you go to Organifi.com forward slash well-fed, you'll see that they have actual pills that you can take. One of my favorite is called Focus, and that is just pure organic lion's mane and an organic coffee fruit extract to help improve your focus and support mental clarity. They also have a brand new collagen, which I have been waiting for this because I trust their sourcing and they always are glyphosate free. It is unflavored collagen from pasture-raised cows, wild-caught fish, eggshell membranes, and organic bone broth protein. It helps replenish and rebuild the most abundant protein and gives you benefits of radiant skin and hair and strong nails. So you can use it when you're taking an adrenal cocktail. You can add a little bit into your adrenal cocktail or add it to smoothies or even drinks because it's tasteless. I love that Organifi is so innovative and always coming up with new things, new products, and they have a lot of good stuff in the works. Support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. They take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market. That is why I use them. I like to drink them. I like what how they taste, and that's a big deal to me. These are clinical doses of adaptogens, so you actually feel the difference. Go to Organifi.com forward slash well-fed. Use our code well-fed for 20% off. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash well-fed, and use code well-fed for 20% off. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome, friends. I am thrilled you're here because in today's episode, we're getting in the thick of it. We are going to be really unpacking some challenging topics, and I am totally here for it. I am going to be interviewing Michelle Shapiro for episode number 442 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. I have heard many of you loud and clear. You want to talk about how do I approach weight loss? I'm struggling. I want to change my body. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I don't know if I should feel shame or bad about that. And I don't know if what I want to do is participating in diet culture. Should I be anti-diet? Is the only way intuitive eating? And what if that's not working for me? All of these are really hard topics to unpack. And man, people have strong opinions about them. Hard when you take sort of a middle of the road approach like we do here and like Michelle does because you're always kind of ticking somebody off. <laughs> And so today you may not agree 100% with everything, but I know that you all are going to be able to step back and listen and gain new insight on a lot of different things. One of my favorite things that Michelle and I talk about is this idea of body neutrality, but also pairing it with science neutrality. 
So how can we remain positive about ourselves and our health and our lives and not beat ourselves up? Nobody wants to be making changes from a place of hate. We did that. We don't want to do it anymore. So how do we move forward making changes that are right for us, even if our goal is weight loss? Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. And that's okay. So taking shame out of that, but also moving forward in a way that isn't triggering. You're not being restrictive. You're not hating yourself. But we're also not ignoring the science and also not ignoring what you know about how certain foods make you feel. Michelle Shapiro is an integrative functional registered dietitian from New York City who has helped over a thousand clients reverse their anxiety, resolve long-standing gut issues, and approach their weight lovingly. She's the host of the Quiet the Diet podcast and aims to illuminate natural healing methods for listeners, as well as invite listeners to approach their weight in a body-neutral way. She aims to bridge the gap between body positivity and intentional health changes. Michelle believes her clients can truly heal from anxiety and panic attacks using a bottom-up approach, starting with the physical body and moving up to the emotional you guys rock. We had some awesome questions. I just love all of you. And I love how thoughtful you are when it comes to how you're intentionally moving forward and making decisions for yourself. And so a lot of your questions gave us an awesome platform to jump from when having these really solid discussions. So I appreciate all of you so much. And I love getting to do this with you. So now let's get to the interview. So welcome, Michelle Shapiro. To the Well-Fed Women podcast. Thank you, Miss Noel Tar. And we just had a whole conversation about our last names. So yes. thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, so we have so much to get to. We just talked quite a bit for like 15 minutes before we even started. So sorry, guys. I want to get to your questions. I want to get to Michelle's story. So we're going to dive right in because things are... We want to go deep today on all oh of gosh. these topics. I know Michelle's excited. So first, Michelle, talk to me about your own personal experience with diet culture and weight loss and intuitive eating, even if you kind of tested that out and why you've made somewhere in the middle your expertise, which is honestly not the easiest, most popular place to be because you typically get hate from all sides. You know, you're not you're not in any one camp, which is a really hard place to be. Absolutely. And I call myself the radical middle, which is like, I'm very firm here, but it is right smack dab in between what people would consider like holistic, functional nutrition and body positivity. So mm -hmm. I grew up in Queens, New York, like really diverse, amazing place for a million reasons. Um, and I had always grown up in a larger body. And when I was going away to the University of Delaware for my nutrition degree, I knew that it was going to be a much more homogenous place. And in Queens, people are very accepted for race, body size, gender, like it's a very, since there's so much diversity, it's almost like there's no norm, you know, in a really mm -hmm. positive way. But I knew going away to the University of Delaware, I wasn't going to be instantly known. And I had a really wonderful life despite, you know, my weight and all these things. Um, and I, I knew that wasn't going to be the case in school because people weren't going to know me and it was going to be a much more homogenous environment. Mm -hmm. So I went on a very rapid, which I could not recommend any less, weight loss journey from the time I was about a junior end of junior year until college, but the actual weight loss really occurred between the summer going into college. And I lost with a issuing a trigger warning, but I lost close to hundred pounds in a three month period. And I went into school and like got every benefit of societal thinness that you can imagine. Like people really legitimately treat you differently. And that is real. At the same time, I was very chronically ill. After mm -hmm. I lost weight, I 
developed hypothyroidism, panic disorder, acid reflux, a bunch of issues just started cropping up. And I wasn't sure where they were coming from. And of course, doctors had no answers for me. Um, And it really was through naturopathic and functional medicine that I kind of what I say, clawed my way back to health. So my goal with my clients is to not lose weight the wrong way so that you don't get any of those physiologically negative effects so that you can um, not have to claw your way back to health. If you lose weight the right way, um, you won't have to do that. I also felt that my weight loss journey was really pushed by diet culture and pushed by this need to lose weight, which also put me in this uniquely bad physiological position for weight loss, Um, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because a lot of times when people lose weight, they're commended and weight loss is such a positive thing. But people don't often talk about the physical issues that come along with losing weight rapidly. Um, And for me, they were many as my body was screaming, you're starving to death. Let me slow down all these body processes. And that's really where my anxiety was from. So I am now a um, functional dietitian who really practices with three conditions, gut issues, um, reversing anxiety and panic disorder, and and also um, losing weight in a way that's loving so that you don't have to, again, really recover your health after you lose weight. So when you went to college and you started yeah. developing all these symptoms, did you in Ten, were you still starving yourself through college? And when what what was the light bulb for you that you were like, maybe it's the fact that I'm not eating enough that I'm getting all these problems? Like, yeah, that's you have a to imagine really hard <laughs> revelation. You're 100 percent right, Noel, because no one would ever think that in like 20, 2009 or like 2010 right. when like weight loss was king. You know, no one would have thought like this is potentially why I'll tell you that I had a moment first with my anxiety where I was. um in the car, this is a funny story. I was in the car with my aunt and she was and my part of my panic attacks was I had like agoraphobia. I couldn't like go long distances. And from Delaware, New York's about a three hour drive. It's like 180 miles. And my aunt was in the car and she was talking about how my cousin went to Israel. And she's like, you have to go to Israel. You have to go. He had the best trip. And I said, I'm trying not to throw up outside of this car right now because I'm in a three hour car ride. And you're talking about going on a 14 hour flight. Like I'm trying to not die. And And then I really sat with that. We were all laughing about it, but I was like, when did I become this person? And I said, when did anxiety become my thing? Um, Why is it my thing now? Why is it that Michelle Shapiro is an anxious person? When did I assume this identity? And that's when I started to think back on my timeline and say, when did I go in this direction? When did my anxiety start? And it was really through that and the work of a naturopathic physician. um, When I ran a Dutch test, I was like, Oh my gosh, like my cortisol is completely out of control. And all these things started coming up where I basically, when I realized anxiety was for me the worst symptom, like I, I hate, I hated having anxiety and panic attacks. It was so scary, of course. Um, and I empathize so deeply with people who do, and which is why I love working with panic attacks. I know it's a funny thing to say, but I love working with panic no. attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I took myself, I'd say like 80% of the way. I said, what can I do to heal from anxiety? I said, I'm not gonna, I'm too scared to take medication. That was part of my anxiety was I didn't want to take medication. It was, it, it scared me. Um, what can I do? So I kind of made my first, what I call battle plan. So I was like, what lifestyle supplement food things can I do? And part of what I kept seeing everywhere was like, if you're under eating carbs, it's going to tax your, you know, you're going to get adrenal fatigue was a big thing back then too. Um, And that's when I started to really notice a difference was when I started reincorporating food um, and the signal came down. And that's when I was able to draw that conclusion. But it really started with me saying, when did I become an anxious person? Like, what is this? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, when do I have hypothyroidism randomly? And doctors would tell me, you know, Michelle, you have this condition now. You have IBS, you have acid reflux. You just have them now. And I remember being like, 
what? I didn't have them before I lost weight. And now I have them forever. That's it. And it didn't make sense to me. It didn't add up. Your experience that you had with your own personal journey, is that what made you want to become a registered dietitian? Or is that a desire you had before college? I'll tell you a secret, which is that a lot of dietitians back in the day, at least, used to want to become dietitians to learn the secrets of weight loss. So there's a very disproportionate amount of dietitians who have eating disorders compared to others because it's people who want to find out the answers for themselves. So I really went in wanting to like find the answers to weight loss. Um, and then I found like this conventional degree and it really was the love of naturopathic and functional medicine that I think brought me into the fold of where I am now. But mm -hmm. certainly my personal journey led me straight into this um, field, which I thought I was going into for weight loss, but actually was going into for all this holistic healing um, component much more. Okay. Let's talk about body neutrality and also yes. while also being, this is the first time I heard this term, but I saw it on your Instagram while also being science neutral. Ooh, so love that. You obviously have experience doing health in two very different ways. Yeah. Obviously now you've kind of created a new path for yourself. So talk to me about those two things and how we can meld the two. Absolutely. So I really like to separate the morality of eating from the science of eating. As we know, the nutrition world stands today kind of in a couple different camps. And two of the camps that we see are kind of like conventional dietitians and then this new intuitive eating and health at every size movement, which really was born out of an, a need because diet culture was very damaging to people psychologically and physically. And basically as a knee jerk reaction to that, we then had the intuitive eating and health at every size movement. Um, what I'm seeing a lot on social media is this thing called all foods fit, which is not as common in the NTP community. It's actually very common, I think, in the dietitian community. Um, it's a kind of like bastardization of intuitive eating because I know when people hear intuitive eating, they're like, Oh, I can. I wouldn't be able to just intuitively eat whatever I want. I just eat Oreos all day, which is not real intuitive eating. That's not actually what intuitive eating is. It's a right. set of ten principles, and it's a very specific like process. Um, the bastardization of that is all foods can be eaten in moderation. And I know Noel, you know that like these a lot of conditions require specific therapeutic diets, right? Like mm -hmm. especially from a functional nutrition perspective, they certainly do. So I kind of live again in the place where. Nutrition information can be really triggering to people if they're not in the right mindset, but it is still nutrition information. So um, as an example, I saw recently on social media, a dietitian posting a Frappuccino saying, this is my favorite Starbucks drink and it's 70 grams of sugar in it. And she was saying like, I love this. It helped me heal my relationship with food. So that to me is not science neutral. At that point, you're manipulating science to say, this makes my brain feel better and makes me feel like I have a good relationship with food, which is a, it's extremely important to have a good relationship with food. It's, it's of the cornerstone of all the work that I do with clients, but we can't dismiss science in the name of what makes us psychologically feel well. And I think intuitive eating is a psychological solution for a physical problem sometimes. And that doesn't work. So mm. if we can kind of like say, Hey, I'm going to eat a cookie and the cookie's going to taste awesome, but it might not cause the best response in me biologically. And I might be able to get away with it. Great. It's really about separating the morality of eating from the science of eating and just being able to view things like data. Like, no, a Frappuccino is not going to be health promoting, but also like, am I going to die from it? Probably not. Like, I don't know. It depends on the person. If someone's diabetic, like maybe um, like something really serious could happen. But 
it, it really depends on where you're at and um, being able to separate those two. So I think the hard thing here is the science. Yeah, because sure. Let's like, talk about it. Science is all over the place. Science is biased. Obviously, we have Subjective. a lot of movements that have made, you know, basically you can find a study to support whatever it is that you want to be said. So yep. how do we as educated consumers, you know, a lot of times I talk about like evidence-based recommendations, mm-hmm. like let's be evidence-based with our thought processes and all that kind of stuff. But it's hard for the normal person no, you're absolutely to understand right. yeah. what is actually evidence-based and what's garbage, you know? So do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts around that or how do you, you know, recommend this I to do. your clients? You can, as you can imagine, I have loads of thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think... The first thing we have to understand is that science is subjective. So it's not like hard and fast. There are things that we know now are objectively true and they're objectively true for most people. Eating whole foods is always better than eating highly processed foods. It's always going to be better. Right. right, It might be better. It might be more fun to eat highly processed foods and it might be part of a social experience to eat highly processed foods. But from a biological standpoint, we, we seem to have that nailed down. There are other things. I call them acts of being human. Like you have to get sunlight. You have to talk to your friends. You have to connect with people and you have to like drink water. Like there's just things about being a human being that we, yes. that they're undeniable. We got them nailed down. Right. I think that everything else in between, like the exact grams of protein, all of that is very subjective from person to person. And the scary part of social media right now is that you could have an intuitive eating practitioner and a functional dietitian saying exactly opposite information because the way that they're interpreting the science and they're using studies is totally different. So it's really, um, it's a weird and confusing time. And I think my, my message to anyone listening would be, you really have to know what feels right for you. So if I also am even receiving information online, like if I saw, I saw the dietitian drinking the Frappuccino and recommending it as her drink of choice with like 20 pumps of vanilla flavoring. And I was like, that's not the information for me. So you have to know like, what's the season of information for me? What's the type of person posting it? Because you can manipulate science to say basically whatever you want. Like science is not just like science. Like there's, there's perception that's important. So I think like, does this align? I would ask myself, does this align with like the acts of being human? Like, is this, does this make sense with being a human being and what we need to survive? And I also have been recently telling clients like, you know, if a dog was had like a kidney disease or if your pet had a kidney disease or something, you would know I have to give them a specific kidney formula. We don't apply the same principles as humans to ourselves. We're like, no, I have to I have to eat based on how I emotionally feel. I have to eat so I don't have a bad relationship with food. Like we have to also do things based on just what we know about how the human body metabolizes things. So does it relate to being human and does it feel like this information is right for me? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's you can find a journal study to substantiate anything. So I don't love also um, when people are too evidence based because like something like lemon water can help my clients with their digestion so much. And like it's really cheap and really safe. So why would we not experiment? And I think it comes down to how someone feels when they're doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that antidote local like evidence too is really important. Oh my um, gosh. Okay, yeah. let me play devil's advocate. So this yep. dietitian who's sharing the the Frappuccino dietitian. Frappuccino. Yeah. I'm assuming she's saying that it helped her relationship with food because she decided she, that or or being able to drink. She used to say it was bad and she never drank it. And now she drinks it without feeling guilt. Correct. Right. Correct. So, yep. 
isn't there some truth to that? Because now, like, so would you agree with the statement that how the state that we are in when we're eating food matters? For example, if we're eating the cookie and we're feeling super guilty about it, it's going to be worse for us than if we fix our relationship with food. And sometimes that means eating more cookies. It does. Liberalizing food restrictions is often the first thing that I'm going to do with clients, especially if they've been to a bunch of functional medicine doctor's offices and they've put them on a bunch of elimination diets and things like that. That creates really serious food fears. We want to ultimately get to the point where we can separate the science from food from the morality of eating. I don't feel, and this is a big piece of my argument, I don't feel the Frappuccino itself is essential for the person. I think the person signaling safety to their body is what's healing their relationship with food. I think the person knowing their safety signals, I think the person understanding the somatic experience of eating and how their body feels and to mm-hmm. like create a safer space so they don't feel threatened while eating is the work. I don't think it's not being afraid of frappuccino specifically. And I think that's where we get confused with the all foods fit. It should always be focused on our nervous system, how safe we feel, not on the food itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally understand that. The other situ, the other um, yeah, phrase you said before was like everything in moderation. I like. I want to throw up when I hear that. I, I hate, hate that, that phrase, phrase. for two very opposite reasons. Right? Yep. One is that no, I can't have gluten in moderation. Like, no, that doesn't help me. What is that? How is that benefiting me? If I know that it doesn't make me feel good, I don't have an allergy. I don't no, I don't want a frappuccino in moderation. Like I know it doesn't make me feel good. And me Correct. eating in a way that makes me feel good. Like I don't want to feel like crap. That's that those are valid reasons as well. At the same time, everything in moderation is still a very restrictive mentality. It means it you sure can is. have what you want, but it's don't eat it too control. much. Exactly. It's like, no, 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 you need to restrict. Like I was on a TV show once promoting the book, my book, Coconut Scatterballs, like years and years ago. And I had to, I was talking about, yeah, you got to eat, you know, lots of nutrient dense fats. And he was like, oh, we're not eating fat now, are we? Or we're not recommending people eat so much fat now. And I said, so, this was off the air, but I said, um, I was like, yeah, fat is okay. Fat is good. Like we can eat it. And Heck he's yeah. like, well, you know, only in moderation. And I was like, <laughs> we're not going to, I was like, okay. <laughs> like, no, I well, just I'm getting a bad taste in my mouth. Even and I always that. remember that. Cause I was like, look at what this has done that phrase is done to our society. It's just like, we can't even decipher good from bad because we've been told things are bad, but oh, we can, but we can have that in moderation, but it's still such a restrictive mentality. So I don't like it for like literally all the reasons, you know, it's still, it's still diet culture. That's still absolute diet culture. This is the problem with, you know, it's so funny. This is the problem with both diet culture and intuitive eating. Cause I, I hate diet culture a lot more than I hate intuitive eating practitioners. Let me tell you, I'm so not into diet culture, but is that no matter what, it's always someone else telling you how to do something versus you learning for yourself what works for you. So if someone says to you, you shouldn't want to lose weight, it's not okay to want to lose weight, that's still not coming from you. If you want to lose weight, you need to validate the experience of wanting that. Whether it is for a healthy reason or not, you feel that way. And it's important to know that you feel that way. I think that's my my main issue with um, both sides of the spectrum is it takes autonomy away from the person. A hundred percent. And we're going to get into the anti-diet movement in a second because we've, Steph and I have even talked about this on here, how we're not anti-diet. Like I'm not against you trying. Especially not anti-therapeutic diets. Right. Right. I'm not against you trying removing things, especially if you have a health related condition, which is really alarming because I do think that some really 
strict anti-diet people are like making big claims, but we have a good question. So we'll get there in a second. Oh, yeah. Before we we jump in, yep. what are some strategies that you recommend to clients to have a positive relationship with food before starting to tinker or make changes um, that are ultimately going to put them in restriction, right? Like they're ultimately Absolutely. going to change the way that they eat or they're going to, you're going to say like, hey, maybe we should give up X food for a little bit and see how you feel. I think the first thing to do is inventory what you feel about different foods and how safe you feel about different foods. So that would be like literally like right making a list. When I say the word carb, how does it make me feel? When I say this, how does it make me feel? Get to know where you are and how safe you feel around foods. I, I keep using the word safety because our nervous system is so important in all of this and so essential. So it always comes back to how are you feeling around food? You're not going to digest food well if you're not feeling safe. You're not going to get the most nutrients out of food if you're not feeling safe around it. And you're certainly going to have a bad relationship with food in that case. So I would say first inventory and then ask yourself how you're feeling before, during, and after eating a meal. I think that's really, really important. And when I say ask yourself, not just from a a mental perspective, check in with your body. What kind of signals is my body telling me about my hunger? Um, Am I in pain? Am I uncomfortable? Do I feel great? And get to know what your body is communicating with you. And I I always say there's like a bunch of different... Like that, that Pixar movie, Inside Out. There's like a bunch of different versions of us in our head. Get to know the conversation around food and really just listen and consciously observe the conversation. So as opposed to jumping in and... Um, reacting when you hear a thought like, uh, oh, I shouldn't be eating that. Just listen and say, okay, I heard you. Great. Mm-hmm. Usually what's happening with people when they have an altered relationship with food is there's a lot of back and forth conversation. There's a lot of, I shouldn't be eating that. No, you have to, you're body positive. No, you shouldn't be body positive. You have to lose weight. And it goes, it gets, it gets top heavy. It gets really, really exhausting for people. So I think just getting to know the conversation, getting to know your safety signals, getting to know your body is the first step. And just observing it, not reacting, just observing it. Mm, Yeah, that's really good. I have a brand new 20% off code for you to use on a probiotic that has literally changed my digestion. So listen up. As someone who's struggled with IBS since like age eight or nine, sometimes my gut will still randomly act up without me knowing why. And that happened a few months ago and went on for weeks. I started searching for a probiotic that contains a combination of evidence-based strains, including both lactobacilli and bifidobacteria strains, because research actually shows you get more benefits benefit when these two are taken together. I also really wanted prebiotics included, and so I tested something called Doctor's Choice Probiotic, and wow, it made a difference almost immediately. I had absolutely no bloat the next morning, and my digestive issues completely cleared up It was wild. Doctor's Choice is formulated with 30 billion live beneficial bacteria per capsule. It also contains FOS, which is a powerful prebiotic that feeds the probiotic strains. It's a safe, delayed-release coating makes it so that it actually gets into the digestive tract. Doctor's Choice probiotic is made by MD Logic Health. It is developed and manufactured in a USA GMP facility. Every ingredient is tested for potency and purity, And they do additional testing for toxins like mold and even heavy metals. If you struggle with digestive issues, bloating, or want to optimize your body's ability to break down food, including protein, I highly recommend rotating in Doctor's Choice Probiotic. Both my husband and I now take it daily. And for a limited time, you will get 20% off Doctor's Choice 
Just go to mdlogichealth.com forward slash doctor's choice and use coupon code WELLFED20 for 20% off. Again, that's mdlogichealth.com forward slash doctor's choice. That's D-R-S-C-H-O-I-C-E. Use coupon code WELLFED20 for 20% off and you always get free shipping on orders $50 or more. Okay, let's jump into our first kind of uh, theme topic is weight loss struggles and, you know, dealing with the desire to lose weight Yeah, when we know diet culture and hating your body and all of that so prominent in within so the, the health, you know, wellness and quotations community. So this is from Stephanie Miller. She says, I struggle greatly with body neutrality and body positivity while still wanting to change my body composition. What strategies do you have for the push-pull relationship between wanting overall health or even wanting to be smaller while trying to accept your body where it is at? So I would say the first of all, thank you for the question, Stephanie, and I'm happy to meet you. The first thing I would do is address the urgency of it. So find that voice that's yelling, I have to lose weight. Who is that voice and where is it coming from? Is it coming from a place of my knees are hurting and I and that's what's signaling to my brain? Is it coming from an old voice from a parent who told you you had to lose weight? Mm. Get to know the voices in your head around weight. I make a distinction between body neutrality and body positivity, and I like body neutrality a little bit more. And body neutrality for me is that you don't have to love your body every day, but you have to respect your body every day. So I would say if you are doing things that feel respectful and kind to your body, you will know that they are respectful and kind to your body. Don't try to do things that are like uh, toxic positivity to yourself. Like, you know, like it's okay. Either overly compassionate in a, in a coddling kind of way with yourself. Like, no, it's okay. If you eat that, you deserve it. That voice isn't compassionate. That's like a coddling voice. Try to interact with that compassionate voice of like, yeah, you know what? Like maybe I'm going to eat this cookie and not feel awesome. And maybe that's okay. I think that's what's really knowing that conversation and understanding where it's coming from and then reacting with compassion and non-reactivity is is a really good place to start. And I just also want to say like, it's okay to want to lose weight. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you wrong. It's okay. When the urgency of wanting to lose weight becomes extreme, that's when your relationship with food can become altered. So that's when you want to start to tap in a little bit and apply a little bit of curiosity and compassion. I think so many people in this community are top heavy. Like we have come from years and years of dieting. Now we're kind of trying to come out of that and then also exist and carry on with our lives in our 30s and approaching 40 and be making good health decisions, seeing our body change and just wanting to be at home in our bodies. So I think one of the things that is really hard, and I hear a lot of women say, I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight, or at least that's what it was for us in our 20s. A lot of us were told, you need to lose weight, you need to be lean. Like, look at these celebrities there. Like, everybody here is 100 pounds. Like, they're, you know, in magazines, you'd see these articles and they would they would tell you everybody's weight. And it was just nuts, right? That was so, so crazy. So, yeah. uh, so crazy. <laughs> like, what? By the way, so oh my God. we grew up in these distorted views of health and weight, quite frankly, Absolutely. right? So a lot yep. of us are still fighting that. So how do we know? This is where I struggle, too, because... Every time somebody in this community is like, I need to lose weight. I'm like, well, wait a second. Do you actually really need to? Because we are all still fighting ourselves in our head. 
thinking. And I mean, it's something I've been very open and honest. Like I deal with this too. You have a baby, your, your entire body changes and you're like, well, this is different. So like, how do you know, you know, if someone actually needs to lose weight versus, you know, in quotations needs, how do we know if somebody doesn't have a distorted view in their head and a just like that losing weight would actually cause them more harm than health versus somebody well, who does, Hey, I, I, I really do want to lose weight and I don't want to get, you know, that's like, that gets into gaslighting and oh, do you really need to lose weight? Like, that's not what we're trying to say, but like you made some great points. Are you really trying to lose weight? Because maybe your, your inflammatory markers are off and you want to see if that changes it. Dysfunction or, so like, how do we decipher that for ourselves? It's a really good question. My answer is, of course, not going to be BMI, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. That's yeah. not going to be, that's certainly not going to be my answer. I think it's going to come down to, are you displaying symptoms of metabolic dysfunction? Is it something that's getting in the way of physical movement? Is it something that's getting in the way of digestion? Is it, is it, it again, like, are there any physical markers is the first question. And then again, I'm going to always bring it back to, we have to get to know those voices though. Because if, if one voice is telling us like, I really want to lose weight. That's very different than you have to lose weight right now. And usually mm-hmm. the you have to use weight right now voice is coming from a place of fear and we don't act on fear because it'll never take us in the right direction. So if you hear a voice coming from a place of love, like, you know what? My knees might feel a little better if I lost a little weight. That's the voice that you want to walk towards. But let these voices as intense as they are, uncomfortable as they are, let them run their course. Because when we react to those voices is when they heighten and get higher. You'll also, when you start listening to yourself, you also know who it is that's talking. Like, I'm like, I know my mean Michelle voice. I know my anxious Michelle voice. You really get to know them and then you can get to the root cause of what they're saying. Okay. This question is from Serta Rakalita. Your thoughts on anti-diet. Some say restricting gluten and dairy is part of diet culture in quotations. And I have seen this. It's interesting to see the anti-diet culture start to make people feel bad about avoiding certain foods because it makes them feel better. Or like, you know, you have Hashimoto's, you don't need to avoid gluten or, you know, and so it's, Mm. to me, it feels a little bit dismissive of people's lived experiences, especially if they're just trying to feel good, then they're like feeling shame or bad. So talk me through your thoughts on anti-diet. I mean, I just to say, Serta, and to all the people that are writing in, you guys asked the exact questions. It's like you wrote the questions from my brain Mm because this is what I talk about all the time on social media, what I talk about on my podcast all the time too. The fact that anti-diet culture has claimed really good science from the functional nutrition community and... All right. This is a big claim I'm making here. Okay, Noel, this is big stuff. I'm making a big claim here, but... Like I'm going to take something like lemon water. Like I'll see things on social media that are like drinking lemon water is snake oil and it's diet culture. And for me, I'm like, but there's been like indigenous Ayurvedic and and traditional Chinese medicine practices that have been around 10,000 years, you know, using like, like drinking certain tinctures, herbal remedies to say that it's diet culture, which has only been around for 50 years is so degrading Mm. to those practices. It's like, how dare you label something that's been tried, tested and true for 10,000 years as diet culture. Like that's so simplifying and so narrow minded within our view of what diet even is and our view of what healing is. Like if you think of it in the context, and I have on my podcast, Ayurvedic professionals and traditional Chinese medicine professionals, and I'm like, what do you think about intuitive eating? And they're like, it doesn't 
align with, it doesn't even make sense in the context of Eastern medicine, because there are certain things that make sense in our body, right? Like even we talk about in the context of Ayurveda, we talk about foods that carry heat versus foods that don't. And if your body is more imbalanced in one dosha or another, it's going to impact you differently. So to say that all foods fit or to say that something is diet culture because it's rooted in Ayurveda to me is very, very narrow-minded, honestly. So diet, everything, claiming everything is diet culture to me is just, uh, let's just throw away the science. Let's throw away all these ancient traditions and let's just label it as something that we feel is familiar. I know this is like a very high level concept that I hope I'm, I hope it's making sense. Um, but Oh no, it totally is. It totally is. Yeah. And I I certainly, we've had, I I love Chinese medicine. I've, you know, had acupuncture. And one of the things that I found really interesting, especially when I was struggling with postpartum anxiety was, you know, it, it was recommended to me to eat more warming foods and stop the cold restricting foods. And, um, even with kids who are struggling, I had Megan Garcia on and something was really interesting to me, which was, uh, you know, expelling heat, so to speak. And mm. how, when kids are sick, we, you know, want to give them popsicles and cold stuff and really to help the body release and both work on, whatever the infection is and release it, you, you want to think more about warming foods, room Increasing temperature, water. The heat and beyond you know, picking up the heat to burn things up. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yes. totally. So yeah. to me, I was like, oh, that totally, I get that. And I, I 100% understand that. And I totally hear what you're saying. I didn't, I've never thought about it until now, which is we give what, what has happened recently and mm-hmm. why I've felt a struggle necessarily like aligning with it is that we've taken, you know, we've talked about diet culture for a very long time, but now there's this whole movement of like, literally everything is diet culture. Everything is that. I made a post everything. recently. I wrote, not everything is diet culture was the yeah, entire which post. Which is, yeah, like, we're going to no. sign that diet culture because it is a way to change or restrict or, um, you know, put parameters around the things that we're doing to bring about health. And, um, I just don't think that's accurate. Like it's not true. And especially with the gluten and dairy, like, you know, when you're doing something, if someone is like, my clients come to me, they're vomiting 15 times a day. Mm -hmm. They have serious gut issues. They have potential food allergies or something like that. Now I have to say, I love FNTPs. Like I love FNTPs. I love RDs. Functional RDs do this too, where they'll say no one can have gluten or dairy or something like that. I don't believe in that either. I believe that everything there's, there's, you know, a middle for everything. As I always say, like I'm the right in the middle ground of everything. I'm the militant radical middle ground. But if I have a client who's coming to me vomiting 15 times a day, am I going to say, no, continue eating the way you're eating because it's diet culture for you not to, how is this information usable for people? Like how is claiming something is diet culture usable? We know that restriction is real. We got it. It is extremely important. Eating disorders are deadly, lethal, dangerous, scary, real. Like people who are suffering from them deserve care and love. That population of people is not every single person in our country. And there are 60 plus percent of people in our country who are suffering from some sort of chronic illness and they need to be included in this conversation too. And when you say not eating gluten or dairy is diet culture, how is that fair to someone who can't eat it? That's not fair Mm -hmm. at all. And there's many people who can't tolerate those things because we're in a state of freaking inflammation, you know, everywhere. So it's Mm -hmm. not all diet culture. Diet culture is real, but not everything is diet culture. And really thinking about it's still, it always comes back to the same thing, which is the Western view of our bodies, which is that our bodies are broken and cannot be fixed. I have seen in my practice, I know you've seen through all of your years communicating with people that real healing is 
happens and it is true and it is real. And there's very meticulous science-based methods to do that. And they're not anything to do with diet culture. That is, it just has nothing. It's two different conversations entirely. I believe the dietitians who say everything is diet culture or the nutrition professionals truly do not know how people heal. I don't mm-hmm. think that they believe it's possible. I think they believe the only thing you can really do as a dietitian is prevent some symptoms and maybe, um, you know, make people feel a little better about their relationship with food. I think if they had the tools to watch someone's labs change, to watch someone's symptoms change radically, which I think you only can really get from the functional perspective, I think they wouldn't say that. I think mm-hmm. that's what it is. I don't think they believe that it's real. Not to mention, I mean, a lot of people who talk about health also talk about restricting things in other areas of your life. You know, like are mm-hmm. these people who are so specific, you know, anti-diet, are they like proactively using cleaner skincare and restricting endocrine disruptors? Like, no, I think that's diet culture. <laughs> do all products fit? You know, like so. Y- exactly. You have- Smart question. Yeah. And it, it does take some hard thinking and hard discussion around that. So like, obviously, the goal here is we don't want women to be in a place where they develop disordered eating or they think they have to be smaller or they have a, you know, they have a crappy relationship with their body. They hate their bodies. They, they start being triggered by the thought of eating bad food. Like, obviously, it can take you down that path. So and that's real. And we know it's real. And we've seen it happen a million times. Um, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Were you going to. No. Yeah. I didn't didn't want to. But I I think that if that's the only thing we're focused on, that's the only parameter of health is having a good relationship with food. We're missing out on everything else. And I don't believe that just saying all foods are healthy is a actual healing way to help your relationship with food anyway. I think the focus always has to be brought back to what does my body experience when I'm eating these foods? What is my nervous system telling me? Do I feel safe around food? What is the conversation between my body and my brain? That it always has to be brought back to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is from Haley. She says, how do I combine intuitive eating with still keeping my integrity on what I know makes me feel good? I have done keto paleo for three years now and I've created a fear of carbs. I'm working mm. now to undo. I'm up 15 pounds from when we started keto. Some is muscle, but I have restricted for so long that I feel like when I'm in quotations off the wagon, I'm borderline binging and feel terrible about myself. I know that gluten and seed oils make my cystic acne worse. Mm. How do I focus on intuition while still restricting for reasons outside of weight loss? I feel like I've created a mess. And I feel like, Haley, your story is like so many, many women. It's going to be so many people are going to resonate with Haley's story. And I thank you for sharing it, Haley. So the first thing I would do is say, is what I'm doing right now working for me? And Haley, there's a lot of things that you're saying that you already know aren't working for you. The level of restriction you're under, it's not only not working for you, I don't think it's causing the outcomes that you want, right? It's not creating what you want. So that's when I would ask you, Haley, to take an inventory. Why am I doing keto? Why am I doing paleo? What are the actual benefits of these things to me? What have I seen work for me? What is working? What isn't? And what is the conversation I'm having around these foods? I know I always bring up the same tools, but it's really important. Like sit down to a meal and just put a food in front of you and say, how does this make me feel? What happens inside my body when I think of this? How is this going to be integrated? And then flip it on its head and just say like, what foods are essential for me to heal? What do I need to add back in in order to heal? And really understand that seesaw of, is this restriction 
a restriction or is it something that's structure to help me and understand what is structure versus what is restriction. Very oftentimes we do have unnecessary restrictions, especially on these functional health journeys. And what happens with keto and paleo is the foods that we find acceptable get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until we're boxed into this very only this only grilled chicken is safe. Like that's the only food that's safe, right? We need to expand what you're feeling is safe. And then yes, definitely. If the restriction goes down, the likelihood is that the binging will go down and everything like that too. It's not a perfect, you know, correlation, but it certainly makes a big difference. So the first thing I would say is what are my restrictions? Why are those restrictions there? And are they actually helping me? Or am I just adding restriction unnecessarily? And then I would get to know that conversation, Haley. Like I would want to know why am I doing this in the first place? What is my brain telling me? And is it is what is, is that conversation like? You should do a keto diet. Well, you're going to get cystic acne if you eat this. Well, you shouldn't do this. And ask, am I eating from a place of fear or am I eating from a place of love? Every decision that we make when it comes to food should be from a nourishing, loving place. And it could be soul nourishing. It doesn't have to be only physically nourishing. But if we keep restricting, we start getting into a place of fear. And that's when we get all these health problems just from being under stress anyway. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about weight loss resistance when you kind of feel like you're doing everything yeah. right? Because the we got quite a few questions just about like, I can't lose weight. I'm always tired or I'm, you know, I have a desk job. I'm eating whole foods. I'm not, I'm a, trying to avoid grains and sugar and dairy and legumes. Like, you know, you're doing the paleo thing, but you're not seeing the number on the scale move. So what are some underlying causes for that? I know that's like a huge topic, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a big and important topic. So I think the, the places I would be looking would be those essentials of being human. Again, make sure that you have your sleep, blood sugar, nervous system, hydration, sunlight, circadian rhythm locked in. Make sure those things are really, really solid. And those foundations are there because there's no fancy. I love nutritional supplements. I love supplements. There's no fancy nutritional supplement that's going to help you if you don't have those essentials of being human locked in. So that's the first place I would look. From a metabolic perspective, where I would be looking is your cortisol pathways, your insulin pathways. And these things can be easily tested for. Um, and I, I would be looking right there usually when it comes to weight loss resistance. And your capacity to um, move things also depends on your nutrient stores. So I would also be looking at to make sure you don't have any outstanding nutrient deficiencies that are important. But really your cortisol, your blood sugar and nutrient deficiencies would be the first place I would look because I think of our bodies kind of like a car and with calories and calories out, we're always focused on how much fuel is going into the fuel tank. What I'm focused on is how's the car running? It doesn't really matter how much fuel is in the fuel tank if we if the car isn't moving, right? If the car is staying stationary, you'll just keep pouring fuel in and you're not moving things along. So thinking about that and also really focusing on digestion because if you have impaired digestion, you literally can extract more calories from the same food you're eating than if you don't. And I think the the other than if you have positive digestion, the other thing I would always look at is leptin resistance. And I always refer to this devastating Biggest Loser study they did. I was I was actually a huge watcher of The Biggest Loser, by the way, when same. I was younger. Yeah. It was like I know it was it was we fascinating. were obsessed though because we were obsessed with weight loss. You know, it was like we were obsessed with weight loss, yeah. and it was like the most we thought a positive show in the entire world. So they did a study in 2016 and they followed 14 out of 14 out of 15 of the contestants and a majority of them, a vast majority of them, almost all of them regained most of the weight that they had lost. And our first thought reading this was like, Hmm, they probably went home from the ranch and they were just eating whatever the heck they wanted. They stopped working out. And that really wasn't the case at all. What ended up happening was their basal metabolic rate had 
overcompensated for how drastic the weight loss was by over 500 calories. So they thought they were, let's say if someone went to the ranch at 300 pounds, they thought maybe they were burning 3000 calories a day. These are not exact numbers, but just loose, you know, loose numbers. When they got home, they thought if they were 150 pounds, they'd be burning 1500 calories a day, but they were burning a thousand calories a day. And that compensation never came back. Like they, they never adapted again. Their metabolism never recovered. The study was 10 years after they were on the show and they were, their metabolism never recovered, which for me was like, I was like crying in a hole when I heard this. Cause I was like, they permanently, like they kind of ruined these people's lives. Like this is like a horrible thing that happened to these like That's people. Awful. So my answer would be low and slow with weight loss yeah. as, as much as you can as, as, and people are like, I can't even lose a pound, Michelle. Don't worry. I'll, I'll go slow. I, I yeah. have no choice. I, I couldn't if I wanted to lose it quicker. And also be mindful of leptin along the way. And leptin is, is related. Leptin and ghrelin are hunger and satiety hormones released by our fat tissues. And they will signal to us whether we should be hungry, what rate of calories we should burn. And when we lose weight very rapidly, our leptin doesn't compensate to accommodate for the weight loss. So it's just really important to always be mindful of leptin. You can get that level tested in your blood. There's actually like a leptin specific diet. I would not recommend just like doing a random diet, obviously from this conversation, but it's really focused on eating high quality protein, um, reducing inflammation in whatever way possible. And those things tend to support positive leptin levels, um, which it makes it really hard to lose weight if your leptin's off too. If you want 20% off sauna blankets, blue light blocking glasses, blue light blocking lighting, and more, I have an exclusive code for you. I have now been testing a sauna blanket from Bond Charge for about six months, and I still love it. It is the most affordable one on the market. I use Bond Charge products all throughout my day. Many of you know them because they are a holistic wellness brand. They have a lot of evidence-based products. For example, I'm wearing my Bond Charge yellow computer glasses right now because I'm trying to prevent headaches and it works brilliantly. I also put on my orange blue light blocking glasses nightly, every night at sunset. They have been a lifesaver for me for improving sleep and reducing headaches when looking at screens. We also have the red light bulbs in our room and the yellow bulbs in the kids' rooms, which is the only light we turn on at night. It's just in their lamp. It's just a light bulb that you screw in. And it helps them calm down and get to sleep easier, which all parents need. And earlier this year, we finally invested in the sauna blanket from Bond Charge. I had my eye on it for a while. I absolutely love it. It mostly improves my muscle soreness and in improves relaxation. And my husband is now using it to improve his detoxification. You just lay it out on the bed, plug it in, turn it on, and it will heat up within 10 minutes. Farm Red Light works by heating the body directly, which speeds up your metabolism and sweat rate. It also relaxes muscles and reduces muscle tension. Ultimately, it's an incredible way to support your lymphatic system in detoxification, which frankly, we all need to be proactive about for proper hormone function. I even used it daily when I was doing my parasite cleanse. And we have a deal which you will not find anywhere else. Go to bondcharge.com forward slash wellfed. Use coupon code wellfed to save 20%. That's bondcharge, B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com forward slash wellfed. Our coupon code is wellfed for 20% off. That's $140 off your very own sauna blanket. And the discount works on all blue light blocking glasses, light bulbs, and more. Okay, I want to um, talk about anxiety because yes. lots of women struggling with it. Um, yeah, yeah, you've I'd talked about to. it before. Yeah, Melanie says, and I know that this is um, 
you know, these are deep topics and we're only going to really scratch the surface. And obviously this is not medical advice. We're not, um, of course not. she's not, you know, Michelle is not your dietitian. She's a dietitian, but she's not yours. So, um, not still work with your doctor. Yep. <laughs> Melanie asks Absolutely. how to manage anxiety if you're hoping to reduce or stop using medication. So are there things yeah. that we can do dietarily that will give us a greater chance of not needing medication for our anxiety if that's a goal if we want to get Yeah, them. absolutely. So I can't speak to medication at all. Um, a, because I'm a dietitian and B, because like, no, I'll just brilliantly say that we can't give any medical or nutrition advice, but I will definitely speak to how we use nutrition therapy to support anxiety and panic attacks. So first thing I just want to explain about anxiety is I view anxiety as a sacred messenger from our body. Just like you get a rash when you have poison ivy, so your body can let you know there's poison. Our body sends us anxiety as a symptom. It sends us anxiety to say, I have to tell you something. Something's going on. So anxiety, I think of almost like as this little kid in a playground and he's pulling on his mom's shirt and he wants mom's attention. I call him Timmy. Mom, mom, mom. Like Timmy. the family guy sketch. Yeah, exactly. Timmy, like mom, mom, that kind of thing. The more she ignores him, the louder he screams. So if you have anxiety, the first thing I want you to do is just look at it and say, okay, I hear you. When we first get anxiety, the first thing we want to do is just shove it down, shut it up, shut it out. Another reference I use for it, visualizing anxiety is it's almost like the fire alarm in our house. It's annoying when the fire alarm comes on. But if you have a fire in your house, you need to know. So it's this ambiguous signal. We don't know where it's coming from, right? It's just telling us something's going on. That could be a nutrient deficiency. That could be a gut issue. That could be inflammation. That could be low blood sugar. That could be... Um, cortisol that's out of whack, any of those things can cause physiological anxiety that can be translated into mental anxiety. So anxiety is a physical thing that's happening. And then your brain has a mental response to it and receives the signal essentially. So the first thing I do with anxiety is just, hi, I see you. Hello. I know you're here. Um, it's very counter to what we normally do, which is like, oh, I don't want it. I don't want it. Um, I like to yeah. kind of picture anxiety sitting with me on the couch and I'm like, take a seat. We're going for a ride together. If these days I get anxiety, I'm like, just sit with me because I guess let's just watch TV together because you're going to be here anyway. But the first thing is to just acknowledge it. Then I would start digging for those root causes. What I've actually been really interested in recently is the, the link between anxiety and histamines. So I noticed during allergy season, people are getting a lot more like, um, I don't know, jittery and like, mm -hmm. that's how I like hot, heavy, yeah. basically, yeah. you know, head heavy, as I would explain it. And I think that that's really where you would want to explore what are the root causes of my anxiety. From a food and nutrition perspective, I would say definitely avoiding things like intermittent fasting, going long periods of time without eating, because starvation is one of the signals that your brain is going to, your body's going to send your brain right away. So if you feel like you're experiencing more anxiety doing intermittent fasting, it's usually a sign it's not your season for intermittent fasting. And if you notice you're waking up between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m., that's often a cortisol response, a stress response, because cortisol, our main stress hormone, is also our rising hormone. It's the one that wakes us up in the morning. So I tell people if they have nighttime anxiety and they're waking up to just have like a little snack before bed, some blueberries and sunflower seeds um, to just even out their blood sugar throughout the night. Keeping your blood sugar stable throughout the day is essential in the treatment mm -hmm. of anxiety. Um, it's the first thing I look at with people and then reducing an inflammation and then going on a hunt to find out the root cause of what's going on with your anxiety. But the one thing I want to say to anxiety sufferers is there is absolutely always something you can do, like always. And I don't want you to feel like this is my identity now. Separate how you're feeling from who you are and know that you are not just done. Anxiety is you are anxious and you are nothing more than that. You're way more than that. And there's always something you can do. 
Yeah. One of the things I've, I've figured out recently is that coffee makes me super anxious and I, I drink it so long, you know, it's like the thing, yeah. it's the thing you do and it helps suppress your hunger. And so you get this like early addiction to coffee, of course, in college. And then it like helps you sunny and then, you know, whatever, it gives you the energy 100%. to work out. Right. I was finding that I would have this like low grade anxiety in the morning. And I was just like, I don't know where this is coming from, but I was like really on edge Oftentimes we think anxiety is something that just happens to us. Like we're overwhelmed or something happened to me mentally and emotionally. And now I'm anxious about it or whatever. But I 100% when you said like, it is a physiological response in your body, making signals to your brain. Sometimes we have unexplained anxiety, you know, it can't, a lot of times I can pinpoint my anxiety to a specific thing, right? Like a specific life event an argument, sure. something that frustrated Coffee, me. stressful events, something. Yeah, I, exactly. It makes me spin. Yeah. It makes me feel a little, yeah, I struggle with sleep and that makes me annoyed and anxious. So, but a lot of times it happens for no reason. And I, totally. I've been able to. Or no reason we know. To when totally. I have ca- caffeine. Not when mm-hmm. I eat chocolate. Somebody asked me that too. They're like, so do you not eat chocolate? I'm like, actually, no, that doesn't do it to me, but it's always the coffee in the morning. So I've had to completely cut it I out. I mean, it's a it's stimulant. My morning's yeah. Yeah. completely different. Um, coffee is one of your 100% right. Coffee and alcohol are some of the first places I look. Alcohol, because it dysregulates your blood sugar and is inflammatory, yes. like as much as we love it and it's part of our lives. I'm not saying like, don't stop drinking alcohol right now. You know, nothing like that. But coffee is a stimulant. It literally stimulates your heart rate. So it actually puts you in a state of, emergency kind of for a little bit of time, but different people can tolerate different things, but that is you're hundred percent right. That's somewhere I would totally look for anxiety too. And again, with anxiety, we want to know, was it the fight I had? Was it this? Was it this? All right. When anxiety comes, you're here. I hate that you're here, but you're here. Let's have, let's have a nice drink and sit on the couch together because you're going to, you're just going to ride the wave basically of anxiety. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize is the worst part of anxiety or really any chronic illness is not the symptoms themselves, but the fact that we immediately react to those symptoms. So we get bloated and then we're like, oh my God, we're bloated. Then the anxiety comes, then the bloating gets worse. You got to crack into that cycle in any way you can and just say, I hate this. It's okay to hate it. It's I hate anxiety for all of you. I don't want any of you to ever feel anxiety again. But if it's here, it only lasts for a certain amount of time. And then I want you to keep saying it's temporary and you're just going to let it ride out. It is just a rush of whatever hormones. It's just a rush of whatever symptoms your body wants to tell you. And it's not here forever. You won't feel like that forever. Yeah. Okay. This one's from Sarah. And um, I think this will give us a a really good opportunity to dive deeper into that idea. She says, how do you know when your symptoms are caused by anxiety rather than an actual disease or underlying condition? I don't feel particularly anxious, but I struggle on and off with debilitating symptoms like shortness of breath, chest tightness, pressure in head, especially behind the eyes, severe vertigo, dizziness, fatigue. When these symptoms come, they hit all at once for a day or so, and they seem to fade for a while before coming back. I can't figure it out. Anxiety or underlying condition. Just don't know where to start to find answers because I'm doing all the things in quotations, low stress life, breath work, grounding, meditation, healthy diet, exercise. And on paper, I should feel amazing, but I often don't. Okay. So you gave very specific. Thank you very much for sharing that too. You gave very specific symptoms that I will tell you, this is not medical or nutrition advice in any capacity. If I were you, that's how I'm going to say it. I would look at a couple different things. I would look at dysautonomia and see if your nervous system is dysregulated. Specifically look at this phrase called dysautonomia. I would look at histamine intolerance and I would look at B vitamin deficiencies because 
in times of stress, you also can get depleted in a lot of those vital minerals. So I would also, and vitamins. So I'd also say that like broad spectrum, the first thing I would tell you to do is just like introduce more minerals into your diet, like have mineral cocktails. They call them adrenal cocktails. My friend, Amanda Montalvo, her handles hormone healing RD. She has amazing recipes for this too, but first trying to address like really cheap, easy, effective measures to address mineral deficiencies because a lot of dysautonomia and histamine intolerance is driven by that. So I would just say that those symptoms, I'm not diagnosing, I'm not suggesting, I'm just saying, look in those directions. If you want to look somewhere, those are a lot of reasons why I see people having like bodily stimulation, you know, that they, that Mm. jitteriness and chest tightness and things like that too. Another sneaky, weird place I would tell you to look, and this is for all listeners, if they have diagnosis, I mean, you know, no diagnosis, but constant symptoms would be acid reflux because you can get chest tightening from acid reflux, which can then lead to a lot of anxiety. Um, You can get like weird feelings in your throat. A lot of these things can happen as a result of it. So I would look in those areas for some root causes of anxiety that feel very body and very physical. And I'll tell you that since people have had the COVID virus and even the COVID vaccines, I've seen a lot more of this body anxiety, even in clients, you know, a lot of my clients have been working with for like five years weekly. Like I know these people better than my own family members. Like these are like, I know their bodies like intimately, you know, and I know, um, you know, so their poops, you know, they're, you know, yeah, I know, like literally, I know every thought they've had in their head, like, exactly. Yeah. And I'm very, I have a very intensive client process. So, like, we're yeah. really connected. And I've seen it in clients who, even before, never had anxiety, then they started having anxiety. And um, even sleeping medications didn't help, but then they took something like an antihistamine and it made such a big difference. So, this is not, this is just to say that I don't think everything is histamine intolerance or something like that. But there are a lot of different things that could be happening in the way the body communicates. So I would say also like trialing things that are cheap, safe, and effective. And then also exploring as much as you can in doctor's offices with lab testing um, to see if it's any of those um, different things in different directions. But um, the one thing I will say is that even if those symptoms happen, we still have the power to control how we react to them. So even in you know, cases where you have, if it was dysautonomia, POTS disease or some POTS syndrome or something like that, you know, your legs are shaking and you have numbness and you have dizziness and chest tightening. You still can say, Hey, I hate these symptoms. I don't like them, but I'm not going to react to them. I'm just going to let them happen. All right. So my legs are a little shaky. All right. I might fall down today. Mm. You know, I have, I have some dysautonomia actually. And I, I literally told Noel, I stood up in the middle of this interview because my legs got numb and I'm like, I'm humiliated, but it is what it is. Like, I just have to stand <laughs> up. It's just my, it's a day where my legs are a little more tingly, a little more numb. And there's some, a lot of our symptoms when it comes to chronic illness, we can heal. And then a lot of them might take longer. We might not be able to, but we can always control how we react to them. It really makes, I love the, that advice. It really makes it, um, I think something, a light bulb clicked for me because sometimes I have, I mean, my mind just spins, right? And that's just one thing that happens. And so sometimes at night I won't be able to fall asleep. And once I get past the point of not being able to fall asleep, then it's like, then you just start getting anxious about not falling asleep. It's mm-hmm. usually not the fact that you're not sleeping. And even, you know, many times as a parent, I've gone the whole night without sleeping get up, you do the thing. Yeah, you're tired and all that. And that stinks. But it's more so the fear, the dreading the fact that you're not getting sleep, that now you're you're going to like, it's the more the mental gymnastics of, oh my gosh, I'm not getting sleep. Oh my gosh, I didn't get sleep last night, as opposed to I'm going to be a little tired today. Like we can move through those symptoms pretty easily. It's like the burden we take knowing that we didn't sleep. 
you are 1000% on the money. I just did an episode of the podcast on, on this too, on sleep specifically. Mm. And my first tip for sleep is to, if you're noticing you're not sleeping, physically leave your environment, walk into the other room, walk outside, switch the game up because you get stuck in these thoughts and our thoughts are physical, right? So yeah. they, there, there might be, some of them are stupid, by the way, not all of our thoughts are correct. We have a bunch of thoughts happening all day. So the thought that's telling you, no, well, if we don't sleep, we're going to die tomorrow. This is the worst thing that ever happened. We could just like kind of picture this like little, you know, yelling voice and make an image of that voice too. And just say like, all right, sit down. We're going to, all right, we're not sleeping. We'll do a little bit of extra work tonight. We'll watch, you know, I'm rewatching the Sopranos. We'll watch the Sopranos tonight. Whatever the thing, you know, whatever the thing is that you enjoy, you'll just do that and just say, I, right now I'm feeling this way and it's okay. I don't like it, but it's temporary and it's okay. And that works for every single symptom. And I would say, no, you know, I've been a dietitian for 10 years. I've seen over, you know, nine, nine plus years, but I've seen over a thousand clients. One thing that is characteristic of every person in chronic illness is that our, our nervous system learns by example. And what that means is if we know we're going to wake up and feel bloated, we're going to kick off this reaction. And then we're going to anticipate we're going to feel bloated the next day because your nervous system learns, well, this is how things are. We need to crack that cycle. You need to do things to dis dissipate that reaction as much as possible by accepting things. And then hopefully, and, and very much really, this happens all the time, the symptoms themselves get less and your reaction becomes less automatic to them. So you can break it up a little bit. But the key for me for healing is in this nervous system piece, in this limbic system piece, which is just have the symptoms and sit with them and they suck and I hate them for you, but just sit with them. Yeah. Easier said than done. But yes. Oh yeah. Oh please. Yeah. No, I'm like I've, sit, I've had... sitting here thinking through like me having to do that. I would be so pissed in the middle of the night. I'd be like, dang it, I have to just success. Oh, it's definitely the harder way to do things. It's definitely easier to let your mind run, by the way. Yeah. But it it's is. possible. It yeah. And it's possible for anyone. You just say, like, I hate this. Okay. And then it'll come up again. I hate this. And I, I say this to everyone. People feel like when we have panic attacks, it's impossible to think. Not true at all. And the more that you practice, remember in a positive way that your nervous system learns by example. So the next time you feel bloated, your brain's not going to go, this is a danger because it's going to remember it's mm -hmm. not a danger. There's no bear chasing me. I'm just right. a little bloated. It's annoying. I can't sleep. It's annoying. Talk it up to being annoying more than yeah. anything else. So many things are annoying. Yeah, okay, exactly. the, last, the last thing that we have is right. really finding the right diet or, you know, making decisions mm -hmm. about what's right for us and figuring that out. Liz says, I know it's not a one, not, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and everyone will respond differently, but how much time would you give a specific change before trying something else? A few examples would be eating fewer carbs, trying out fasting, higher protein diets, wow. three larger meals versus five to six smaller ones. If you're on a weight loss journey and you've made a change, but it doesn't seem to make a difference, how long before you try something else? My gosh, that is like your audience, by the way, all of you are so freaking smart. Like the questions you're asking, I could not have written better myself. Like I'm obsessed with all of you, by the way. Um, you know, we say also in like functional nutrition, you know, we, people often say like, there's a Herx reaction when you have new supplements and like, you gotta make, you gotta, you gotta fake it till you make it. You gotta go through, you gotta go. The only way out is through kind of thing. And it's like, no, if something's literally not working for you. It's probably literally not working for you. 
it's really hard to give a specific timeline when it comes to like fixing your hormones or anything like that, or like attempting to change hormonal patterns, it's going to take at least three months to see a difference. When it comes to a diet, what I would notice more is not the specific timeline, but what symptoms are happening as a result. So if you are feeling better, but the weight's not moving, you might want to stick it out for a little longer, a little longer. So different for everyone. Cause if you're urgent with weight loss, you're like, that's today. If I don't lose weight today, it's going to be the end of the world. But I think noticing the total of how your body feels is really important because weight loss happens when the car is running well, right? So you want to do things that are going to make the car run well. And again, just go back to this intuition around it. Are you doing things that are, we know are scientifically true? You come on. I know everyone's like, Oh, I don't know if this exact protein thing. Like, are we eating enough food to feel energized and get through our day? Are we doing things that feel like we're connected to the earth and to other people, like keep it to those things and any extreme you do have a risk of greater side effects. So a keto diet can be very powerful and forceful, but it also has a seesaw, you know, side effect. So if you're also a person who urgently wants to lose weight and you want to do something drastic, you might also have to know that side effects might happen. And something like keto, you know, from our questioner before, might lead to more binge eating because you are doing something more restrictive and it is going to force you into a place where you're scavenging for food more often. So I would say the timeline and amount of time isn't as important as acknowledging your symptoms on the way and acknowledging how you're feeling every single step along the way. And that's for all the things that we're talking about today. Check in with yourself more than you think you need to. And that doesn't mean being hypervigilant, like, oh, did the symptom happen? Oh, is this happening? But like, hey, how are you doing today? Just mm-hmm. pop down there. We never ask ourselves, how are we doing? We ask how everyone else is doing all the time. How are you doing? How do you feel about doing this? I truly believe if we can take all the advice out of other people out of our head, we yeah. can actually find the answers from within ourselves. which was like the whole point of my podcast. I call it Quiet the Diet because it's all about, I don't care what anyone else says. I only care about what works for you. I think you already know the answer if something's working for you. I think you do. I think when we can get past the fear and really start listening, you'll know. I truly believe that. You'll know. I love this idea, too, of like risk assessment with the changes and the Mm. tweaks that we make, because so many times things are demonized. You know, even here, it's like we don't love fasting. Like it just doesn't work for most women. But we want women to try. So it's like, here are the risks. Here are the risks of keto. Here are the risks of fasting. Here, Here are the risks of doing Weight Watchers. You know, I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but here are the risks. Here are some side effects. Here are things that can happen. You have the freedom to choose what to do because it's your body and it's you and you get to decide, you know, like, and how else am I, is this worth it? How else is your, remember, I keep saying your nervous system learns by doing, by example, how's your nervous system going to learn if something's going to make you feel bad or good? You have to show it. Sometimes you've got to try. And I think trying things is totally fine. I don't think trying things is inherently diet culture or bad. I think trying things and hanging your livelihood and happiness on those things is diet culture and bad. Mm. I think devoting and giving away all of your power to a diet or to a diet company is what makes it diet culture. And the, the difference between something being diet culture or something being bad for you or good is always the intention. Remember that it's not like orthorexia. You, two people can be eating the same food and one person can have orthorexia and one person can be totally healthy. Right. Eating in a healthful way doesn't mean you have an eating disorder. But if you're scared to not eat another way, that's when you get into the category of disordered eating. Oh, man, that's so important. 
Um, okay, this is last question is from Elizabeth. She says, how to go from eating as much as possible. She's in hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery, pregnancy and breastfeeding after to eating normal again. I got so used to this mechanical style of eating. So I got used to eating when I'm not even hungry. I eat treats, not because I really want them, but because it's habitual. No need to say that I'm putting on pounds. No need to say that I'm putting on pounds after pound while still exclusively breastfeeding. How do I wean off the seconds and treats? This is this is a tough one. I get that. And by the way, congrats on on even being on this journey. That's so powerful what you've done so far. Um, I think that you want to check in with your physical state before you're eating. So I have a friend, Stephanie Mara Fox, who's a somatic eating counselor, and she's trademarked this term somatic eating. And she always says somatic eating comes before intuitive eating, which means intuitive eating is all about accessing what your mind wants. Somatic eating is accessing what your body wants. So I would literally sit, let's say it's a candy bar or something, Mm -hmm. sit with a candy bar in front of you and say, how interested am I in this candy bar? And what part of my body wants this candy bar? Is it "Mm, my mouth might want this candy bar? Am I feeling hungry? How do I feel from an anxiety perspective? How do I feel from a nervousness perspective? Check in with what your body's asking you and make eating like a serious thing. Like, and not serious in a scary way, but serious is in like, I literally look at food and I'm like, holy crap, this is it's like a ball, an orb of life force. We literally cannot live without it. It's crazy. Like, and I and I often tell people, think about like it's like this glowing, like amazing thing. I'm like, holy I know crap, you're really? like like the Avengers. Orb. You're like, yeah, people, like if people are watching it on YouTube, they'll see, but otherwise the orb of life. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but think about like, not only like how vital this food is and take it so seriously. Like, thank God I have this food in front of me. I love that people pray before eating and, and give thanks to the food in front of them. Show gratitude for the food in front of you. And then also ask yourself, like, how did this food get to me? Think about the journey of like, blueberries like they're coming from potentially different countries going through these trucks and then landing this exact blueberry landed right in front of your face how amazing is that like and think about the journey and process of how the food got to you to make you feel more connected to the food because we're not using food as a tool for weight loss right we're using food to sustain ourselves be alive and introduce literal energy it's giving us the the life force um inside of it so i think connection to food will be a good way out and connection to body will be a good way um for you to find out what's working, what isn't, what's necessary and what isn't. I would say too, Elizabeth, it's so funny because I had this exact same experience after Maverick. I was like, all of a sudden it hit me and I I guess it was probably like a year and a half postpartum. And I was like, I actually don't need, like I'm weaning off of breastfeeding. I don't need this food anymore. I don't need, like I have the mental and emotional energy now to apply um, to making better decisions around food and deciding or, or experimenting and figuring out what actually is working for me and what's not. So sometimes you can just stop the seconds because, you know, I think sometimes yeah. we tell ourselves even, you know, especially in HA recovery or when you're b- pregnant or breastfeeding or whatever, that like, oh, I need the calories. Right. And so when you stop needing the calories, you stop needing that extra energy. You can mm-hmm. just experiment with like not eating seconds and see how you feel. Are you hungry at night? If not, then you're like, cool, there's a new baseline. Like sometimes I might need to eat a little bit more. But I didn't go back for seconds and my body felt really good and I actually slept a little better and I was able to do like my my workouts felt better in the morning or my digestion was better in the morning or whatever. So just like try one little thing as long as you're mentally and emotionally in the space to do it because we all know babies and breastfeeding and all that takes it all out of you. So it's just I, know, I feel silly even saying that you're yeah, right. Mental and emotional like, capacity. You're to like, so okay. tired. 
Yeah. You're so freaking tired. And I don't even done want so to much think about it. I just don't. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just sell you're hundred percent right. Just self-experimentation and also just knowing it's okay if your body needed more and it might or might not now, but your body's going to tell you what it needs and you're going to roll with it. Mm-hmm. Often when we have eating disorders or we have disordered eating, it's really much more about a disconnection from our body and just focusing on what's going on outside and focusing on, oh, we have to do this diet. We have to do this. We have to do this. And sometimes that's necessary. And hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery, you like hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery, you need to do things that are a little bit counterintuitive. But now if your body, because you have to eat more than you're thinking you have to eat. Yeah. But now right. that your body's in, in that more of a state of balance, the fact that you're even asking yourself those questions and saying, am I eating too much for me? I'm gaining weight. That's a sign that maybe I'm eating too much. That means you're already started on the process and you already started checking in with yourself, which is great. Yeah. Michelle, tell me about your... um your practice? Are you still taking clients? Is it virtual? Do you have to come see you in person? What's the deal? So I am totally virtual. I have a practice with an amazing staff dietitian, Nikki. I have a wait list for working with me, but my amazing staff dietitian, Nikki, she's really working with people who have any sort of chronic illness and at the same time want to improve their relationship with food. So they're looking to either lose weight, heal their gut, anxiety, but at the same time, want to have a better relationship with food and not think about food so much and not have these pounding thoughts. Um, So we are absolutely accepting clients in the practice. And then I just have, if people want to find me, I'm on Instagram, Michelle Shapiro RD. I have a podcast, Quiet the Diet, um, and they can connect with me in any of those ways. And uh, we also have like a, a really easy, like little workout guide if they want that too. But I, I'd rather them, honestly, I'm like, look whose podcast I'm on, get it from Noel. I'm like, forget, it. I was like, actually, no, to get Noel's podcast, hers are better, honestly. For different folks. I'm, exactly. I'm all good. I'm all down for us all working together. So absolutely. I love right. that. And I and I thank Michelle, you so much for having me. Thank, thank you. you so much. This was this was awesome. You went over. We're like approaching the second hour. Like I feel bad, but we had so many good questions and you, you answered them and we we got deep. And I'm so excited to get this out to people. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Noel, for the honor of a lifetime sitting down with you. Like your audience obviously is so like so much like you where there's so much depth of questions, so much depth of thought. And it's just been a joy interacting with you all. And and Noel, thank you so much for having me on. I know. I just love everybody in this community. Exactly. They're awesome. Um, the okay. Best. So Michelle is at Michelle Shapiro. It's S-H-A-P-I-R-O-R-D.com. Um, you can find her practice there and we'll link also to her podcast and the her Instagram, which I follow her on Instagram. So you can find her on Instagram. We'll do all those links in the show notes. For more from me, coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thanks for being here, guys. I will talk to you next week. Bye.